everybody, and welcome to Friends of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I am your host, Brad Whipple, and this is our Mandalorian series, Clan of Two, hosted by myself and Tori Fox, where every week we talk about the newest episodes on Disney+. Today is a very special episode as we are joined by a Korean-Canadian actor who you best may know him for his role as Randy Ko in the soap opera Train 48, or as Appa in the comedy Kim's Convenience. In 2017 and in 2018, he won the Best Leading Actor in a Comedy Series at the Canadian Screen Awards. And most recently, he's finally lived up his lifelong dream as a huge Star Wars fan to appear in Star Wars as Carson Teva in The Mandalorian, right alongside Dave Filoni as part of the two X-Wing pilots who rescued Din Djarin in Chapter 10. So I am so pleased to welcome Paul Sun-Hyung Lee to the show. Tori and I were just so excited to have him on. So without further ado, let's jump right over to our interview with Paul. We ran the tabs on the Razorcrest. You have an arrest warrant for the abduction of prisoner X6911. However, onboard security records show that you apprehended three priority culprits from the wanted register. Security records also show that you put your own life in harm's way to try to protect that of Lieutenant Davin from the New Republic Correctional Corps. Is this true? Am I under arrest? Technically, you should be. But these are trying times. We are just so honored to welcome to the show Carson Teva himself, Paul Sunhyung Lee. Paul, thank you so much for joining us on Friends of the Force today, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So happy to have you. And first off, welcome to the Star Wars universe. Uh, I feel like you are just living out your dream. And uh, as an X-Wing pilot, you know, going from, from cosplay to, to screen-used costume. First thing I want to ask you is really, what's it been like to now, you know, you've been in two episodes so far of The Mandalorian. And what's it just been like seeing the reception of, of the fan community? knowing you're a part of the Star Wars canon, this, you're, you're part of this universe, and you get to leave your mark in it. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's been overwhelming um, and overwhelmingly positive. That, that's been the, the, the one biggest takeaway. I didn't think so many people would be so excited and so happy for me. Um, and and that's, been the, that's been so heartening. Um, you know, this has been a dream come true ever since I was five years old. This is like the galaxy I kind of wanted to be a part of. And uh, when you're growing up, and you're an Asian kid, and you don't see too many Asian faces in the Star Wars universe unless they're getting blown away. Um, you, you're kind of like, you're on the outside looking in. And it's a universe that I've always, always loved and always sort of craved to be a part of. And, um, you know, to finally get that opportunity, uh, I, I keep saying this, I feel like Cinderella at the ball. And then <laughs> when you're there and you, you, you know, you're in this richly designed, finely detailed universe, um, and you know it so well because you've been following it your entire life and to be actually part of that and have a visceral sort of physical experience where you're, you're touching the sets and, and all the props and they look spot on. And then, you know, you, you're working with great minds like John Favreau and Dave Filoni and Carl Weathers and Peyton Reed. Um, it, it's, it's fantastic. Um, and, and then, you know, to top it all off, you do a decent job. And people don't hate you for it either. So <laughs> that's a big thing. And I, I will say that was one of my bigger fears was that, you know, I didn't want to screw it up. Um, because it's, it's sort of like uh, when you get that one chance to, to sort of make your mark and, and be there, you, you want to make sure you have a good showing. 
And, um, you know, Star Wars fans, they're, they're loyal, but they, they also, you know, they, they can be harsh in terms yeah. of judgment of, or critique of your performance. And I wanted to make sure that I, I felt like I belonged, my character belonged in that universe, like that, that he inhabited it and it was a natural part of it. And so I was really, really nervous that, um, you know, it, it might not work, but uh, it's, it was really nice to see that everybody sort of enjoyed that and were kind of living vicariously through me in terms of their, their, their fan uh, their, oh, yeah. their dreams so yeah that's I, I have to say like obviously there's so many talented actors in Star Wars and it's very exciting to see people um, get cast and things like that but when you know someone's like a fan and has been a lifelong fan it you can feel it you know so <laughs> you incredible job <laughs> so exciting to see you <laughs> on screen um, so like you said, you've been, you know, a lifelong fan of Star Wars. So what's been your personal history with it? Um, when were you first introduced to it? And uh, maybe what do you love most about it? Yeah, um, you know, Star Wars was the first movie my dad took my, my sister and I to see in 1977. I was five years old and I had no idea what to expect. And this movie just totally rocked my world, uh, such as it was at five years of age and soon became my lifelong, uh, that, that became my lifelong sort of obsession with this universe. Um, and I, I kind of have the, the original trilogy was kind of a benchmark for my real life because my dad took my sister and I to see it in 1977, 1980, my, my babysitter took my sister and I to see Empire Strikes Back. And in 1983, my sister and I were old enough to go by ourselves to see Return of the Jedi. So those are wow. kind of big milestones in my life. Cool. There. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's just, uh, there's something that's so captivating about the storytelling, the characters, the universe. Um, it, it just captured my, my imagination. You know, I wanted to be on Hoth fighting with the rebels against the, the Empire. I wanted to be doing, you know, in the Death Star, uh, on the, the battling with the, the X-Wing squadrons as I made the Death Star run in the trenches. I wanted to be, you know, on Endor fighting the, the stormtroopers on the forest moon. It was just all these things that just sort of swept me up. Um, and on such a grand scale, too, and with, with characters that I grew up to love. Uh, my favorite was always Han Solo. Um, you know, Luke Skywalker was a hero, but Han was always like, you know, he was my yeah. guy. He was yeah. my guy. That guy turned good. And it's just like you wanted him to be a good guy. And when he matured into that hero the rebellion needed, I thought that was amazing. Um, and so, yeah, that was Star Wars in a nutshell for me, the original trilogy. And then it was done. And I thought, okay, well, there's, you know, there's comic books, there's expanded universes, there's novels. Um, you know, the Heir to the Empire series was such a boon when they first came out. And I was just, instantly just gobbled up as much of that extra content as I could. Um, and uh, then, of course, you know, the, 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 pro, uh, the, the prequels started coming out. And I remember I was working at Blockbuster Video in Toronto. Oh, and wow. <laughs> yeah, they had a, it was a York Cinemas. And that was the first instance where people started lining up for like weeks before the movie premiered. And so we had people lining up for three weeks in front of our store. Um, and then the strangest thing happened. A group, a squad of stormtroopers, fully kitted up, came into the store. And I was absolutely gobsmacked because I'd never seen stormtrooper armor done to perfection before in my life, like up close and in personal. Like these guys looked like they'd stepped off the movie screen. And they were part of the 501st Garrison. Now, the 501st, they are a cosplay group that troops in costume, full costume for charities. And they have a very high standard in terms of if you want to be accepted into that group, you have to be screen accurate. Uh, and there are varying levels of accuracy uh, to be a part of the 501st. And so they were spot on. And 
you know, that sort of started a little bit of a, an obsession with me in terms of, wow, how do I, how do I build this stuff? How do I, how do I dress up? How do I, and that sort of got me into the, the whole idea of like cosplay could be so much more than just Halloween or, or dress up. You know, it, it was just, that world just sort of suddenly opened up uh, to me. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, you know, again, um, Star Wars was a link uh, or a bridge to another part of my life right now that I, I quite enjoy, and that's cosplaying. Um, and of course, you know, going to cons and, uh, you know, meeting different actors and performers and designers and directors who've been part of the Star Wars universe. Um, that was a nice thing. I, I've always loved going to cons, uh, the different fan expos um, in Calgary, in Toronto. I haven't made it to the Mecca yet. I haven't been to San Diego. That's, that's a dream of mine one day. And of going to Celebration as well, that's another dream to be able to, to want to fulfill. But, um, you know, that's, it's been part of my life for so long. Um, it, it, it just made sense that it flowed into the natural extensions of what I, I enjoyed um, that were outside of the sphere of Star Wars as well. I think that's the one thing that really sticks out the most uh, when I when I started looking you up online and seeing, you know, what you were doing out there. You look up your name in Star Wars, you, all your cosplay photos show up on Google Images and you're like, this guy's a huge Star Wars fan. <laughs> and I was like so excited. I'm like, there is his X-Wing pilot cosplay. Here's the here's the real thing now. Like what a glow up. Yeah. And I think for you, like you really you sort of embrace the geek lifestyle. I was reading an old uh, an old interview with you, how you talked about, you know, your dad wanted to watch hockey night in Canada, but you wanted to watch Star Trek because you yeah. were a big Trekkie growing up. And it just seems like you've really surrounded yourself with so many different things that you're really passionate about. And in that same interview, you said, speak with your passions. These things will carry you be a part of you for your entire life. And I thought that was just so inspirational, like so unabashedly authentic. And I really appreciate that about you. But like, what does uh, geekdom to you mean just in the larger scope, even outside of Star Wars? And kind of how it's given you, uh, you know, confidence and, and really uh, bolstered who you are and, and who, who you want to be? Well, you know, it, it started off for me as, a, as an escape. Um, you know, growing up, uh, it, it was, um, it's not like I didn't have a lot of friends, but I, I was, because my parents were immigrants and they worked uh, really hard and long hours, a lot of times my sister and I were kind of left to our own devices. And back then, like the television was my babysitter. And so I was always drawn to certain types of programs. Uh, the sci-fi shows I love, Space 1999, Lost in Space, Star Trek. Uh, those shows I, I absolutely adore because they were a nice escape from the sort of uh, the boringness of, of my regular life, which was just sort of being stuck at home. Um, and, you know, when I found those passions and, and that branched off into comic books and into collecting action figures and playing with your friends and recreating scenes from different movies, um, it just became a natural extension of who I was. Um, and so Geekdom for me has always been a really great place as well to connect with like-minded individuals. Like you never bond faster with somebody than if you have a shared interest in, in some sort of franchise. Um, for example, Andrew Fung and I, uh, Andrew, he plays Kimchi on Kim's Convenience. And, um, you know, I, I did, I, the first time I met him was at his chemistry read. And um, what really set him apart was uh, you know, first of all, his personality, which is fantastic, but we've soon discovered that we both had a shared passion for Ghostbusters. I was creeping his Facebook page after, you know, we, we kind of connected and I saw that he had built this replica proton pack and I had built one, but it was a scratch build and it was out of like foam core and Sintra. And I based it off of plans that I found online. It was as good as I could make it. 
And then there was Andrew and he had this fiberglass tricked out proton pack with lights on it. And I thought, oh my God, this is brilliant. So I started chatting with him about that and we found we, have a, we had a lot of things in common. And that for me in a nutshell is what fans are about. It's like connecting with other people and, and geeking out and nerding out about uh, the intricacies of, of whatever you, you're following is. Um, same with Dave Filoni, when, when I met him for the first time, it was he like, he's a nerd's nerd. He knows his stuff. And yep. but he's so down to earth about it, right? It's not like, well, I know this and I know that and you don't know any of this. Like you find commonalities and you, you gush over the same sort of things and you get excited about the same things and you get into these fantastic conversations. Um, and Geekdom for me at its purest form is about building each other up, getting excited over the same things um, and, and really just sort of, it's a communal experience mm -hmm. and it's not a contest. You know, it's not like I know more than you or I've got right. more than you, or I've collected this and you don't have that. It's, it's not about that. It's really about celebrating together shared interests. Um, and that, at, at its, and it's about acceptance too, because I remember my wife taking her to her first con and her walking around and she was in tears at one point. And I said, what's going on? Um, and she saw that there were people who were dressed up in the, you know, different levels of cosplay from like super intricate to like store-bought sort of like the Halloween costumes with the ties on the back, but there was no judgment. And she loved that. Like people just universally accepted, you know what? You love Spider-Man. You went out and you got one of those kids Spider-Man costumes. It's a little bit too small for you, but you know what? You're rocking it. So have fun. <laughs> and it yeah. was that yeah. acceptance, which I love. And she'd never been exposed to that before. That for me is what geekdom is. That for me is what, what nerddom is and all that stuff. It's, it's about really, really saying, hey, if you like that, you go and you enjoy that because it brings you comfort and you can't dismiss anybody for loving what they love. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's honestly got me a little misty-eyed there. I was like, yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, quick, quick question. I'm just very curious. So you talked about making um, making your prop with like the Sintra and foam core board and all that. Um, what's your favorite thing you've made? Oh, wow. Um, I, <laughs> Sorry, I, is that? <laughs> no, no, no. This, there's so much. Um, I, the proudest thing I am is actually, so that, that foam core proton pack, Mm -hmm. I, it's in the other room right now. It's it's been disassembled because I've cannibalized it for for different parts. For different parts. Um, yeah, because I, I actually went up and I, I did the full Cadillac version of a proton pack with fiberglass shell, the lights, the sound. Wow. Yeah, wow. that one that one I was really proud of just because I didn't electrocute myself. Um, <laughs> and uh, it, it is like that's my first sort of hardcore. I'm gonna build a replica prop, right? It's close as I can make it. Um, and I gained a huge respect for a lot of uh, a prop builders, replica prop builders, because it takes a lot of craft. Um, but it, it was also something that was really so empowering because I was so proud. It's like, I did it. I have no idea about ele how electronics really work. I had no idea. Like I was scared out of my wits whenever I was trying to tap a hole to, 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 to thread some bolts through so I could secure it to like the motherboard. All these different things, all these different skills that I learned from just working on that. So yeah, it'd have to be my proton pack. Um, and as well, it's like the wow factor of when you, when I bring it out and I, my cosplay as a ghostbuster, people lose their minds. They see the pack. Oh yeah. Well, that's what's the, the best. <laughs> and, and they're like, Oh my God. And <laughs> I, I love seeing people's reactions because it brings a smile to everybody's face. You know, it just, whatever they're worried about, whatever they're thinking about, it just 
for that moment at least, when they see that, it disappears. And then it's like the wonder of looking at going, how did you build this? Like, what is wrong with you? How do you, how do, you do all this stuff? How do you find time to do all this stuff? Um, and it's, it's great. It's really great. Yeah, Tori's much of a craftsman herself. Oh, she... stop it, Brad. Stop it. <laughs> so you guys I do, have that I do like common. to make things, so that's why I was like, oh, tell me more. I love to hear people talk about what they like to make. So, so I want to know for you, you, you talked a lot about geekdom being an escape and connecting with others. And I think that's now more important than ever when we are stuck inside and, la- and lacking the, the intimacy of our friendships and, and the closeness. And we are all very uh, distant and virtual. And I think for, for me and, and for Tori both, The Mandalorian has been an escape for the last seven to eight weeks, you know, ever since mm-hmm. we got that very first trailer. Eventually, we're going to lead into your involvement with the show, but I want to hear from, from you. What were your first initial impressions of The Mandalorian, especially not only just being the first live action TV show, but also something that really separated itself from the rest of Star Wars, like when you first saw it last year and as, as you've continued to watch it and have kind of grown to appreciate it even more. Yeah, uh, you know, when I heard it was first announced, I was excited just because of the prospect of, of having a live television series based on Star Wars was, it was exhilarating because it was like, I, you know, it was going to be every week. What are you kidding? Instead of every three years, you're going to get that dunky <laughs> yeah. kick, right? Like, yes, hook it to my veins. Let's go. We'll just, you know, mainline it. And and then I discovered that uh, a, a dear old friend of mine was working on the show, which got me even more excited. And that was kind of how I got linked to, to visiting the set and, and meeting John Favreau and, and Dave Filoni. Um, yeah, Deborah Chow is an old friend of mine from way back in the day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's, that's how it started. That's how the, my whole connection to The Mandalorian started. Wow. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, when it came out, I mean, I was already super jazzed to watch it anyways, because when I visited the set, uh, I, I did a set visit uh, in first season. And while I was on set, I got to see Deb do uh, direct a, an episode. Um, and I also got to see Grogu for the first time. Now, this, was like, <laughs> I was like, what is that? Oh, my God. Because you see this, and this was a huge secret. And I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave Filoni was like, no, don't tell anybody. <laughs> I said, are you kidding me? This is going to melt the internet when this, when, when, the child is, is sort of revealed. And I didn't want to, I remember thinking, I will take this to my grave because I don't, I didn't want to deny anybody the, the same reaction I had when I first saw him. Yeah. Like, that's like massive spoiler territory. So I was just like, keep it quiet. Um, and so seeing all these elements up close and then seeing the technology that they use, because I saw uh, the day I visited, they were shooting uh, the scene in, in Moss Eisley with Pelimoto. Uh, so it was uh, Amy Sedaris, character. like they're shooting that scene. <laughs> Love and, her. Uh, yeah, she's, so, she, her character so is great. so good. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, and she's perfect, and she's a fantastic actor too. Yeah. Um, and so you know, I'm, I'm watching this, and there's no context. I have no idea what's going on, but I think <laughs> oh my the technology, gosh. and they're using the volume, and so they've got like the practical set. Uh, you know, they've got the bottom half of the razor crest with the ramp, and they've got real sand and and real sort of containers, but then the rest is it's all projected on an LED, on LED screens, like thousands and thousands of LEDs. Uh, and it felt like we were on location. It was crazy. It was like being on a holodeck, really. I mean, to use another genre's sort of uh, uh, terminology, but it felt like a, an actual holodeck. Um, so yeah, The Mandalorian was just like, ah, I, I was just chomping at the bit to see what the storytelling was going to be like. 
because that's the big thing for me. You can have all the dressings of, of a familiar sort of genre, but if the stories don't resonate, if the storytelling isn't good, if you can't connect with the main character, the protagonist, then it's kind of like, it's empty and it's a little yeah. bit disappointing, right? And so I was really, like, I didn't think that was going to happen, but I was just even more excited to just sort of embark on that journey. And, uh, you know, that, that first, that opening scene with Mando walking down, you know, that icy path and then his entrance into that cantina, which is like the imagery was there, the old spaghetti westerns, the samurai movies, Lone Wolf and Cup, everything was there and everything made my geek heart sing because <laughs> I knew that we were going to be in good hands. And, and that's, that's the genius of, of John Favreau and Dave Filoni. They know the genre. They know uh, how to tell a good story. And they know exactly how much deep cut stuff to put in there. So it doesn't become just a, you know, just, just for kicks, we're just going to keep throwing all these Easter eggs your way. Like everything is layered in and everything has a purpose. And that's right. Storytelling. Yes. Like they, they care. They care. And uh, yeah, I just like, so yeah, Mandalorian was just like it right away. Just sort of that first episode, my kids were like, ah! and I was like, ah. <laughs> and we, had to, we had to wait another week to, to watch another episode and it was it's a family tradition now we get up first thing in the morning oh yeah and we go yeah. he's like yeah we're like, okay let's go and we watch the episode now the kids have to get ready for school um and so before we watch it sort of like you know record speed getting getting <laughs> and we sit as a family we watch it which is fantastic um and it's it is a magical time for the family to watch uh, the program as well and it's just yeah yeah it's great so that that's for me like the mandalorian is on so many levels so satisfying but it, it's great too because i'm creating these memories with my family now yeah, so, yeah that, that's something I'll, I'll get the kid and then to be part of it too yeah right <laughs> it's just <too> bad. <laughs> what was it like to watch with your family the episodes like that with you the, your episodes yeah, that you're in yeah uh, i was <laughs> I was like, they were more excited than me. Um, <laughs> I had no idea how it was going to turn out because, you know, I, I, and I'd shot that stuff like a year ago. Yeah. One of the episodes I shot last October. Wow. And then the episode of the Ice Spiders uh, was in February, which feels like two years ago because of the pandemic, oh right? Oh my gosh, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was just like, um, so I had no idea. I, had, I, I, I thought, uh, because I didn't see any rushes. I didn't see any playback. I was just sort of going off of what everybody was saying. Um, but I, I had, so I was really nervous because I didn't want to suck. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I was, I was quite, I was really relieved and then quite happy. And then it was great because my kids kept wanting to watch it again and again and again, which was fine by me because then I had a built-in excuse, reason to watch it. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of like a football coach or a baseball coach. I'll, I'll endlessly analyze the video. <laughs> to see where I can improve them and, and, and dissect it myself. Yes. <laughs> I want to know what it was like for you to, the first time you stepped inside the, the X-Wing pilot costume, because I'm sure there were elements to it that were very familiar to you. You've like, I've been here, you know, I, I saw the one picture of you in your cosplay, but now it's like, yeah. you're the one getting dressed, you're the one getting fitted, you're the one getting your own X-Wing helmet, like everybody else is doing this for you, you're just kind of putting it on and and getting into that world and being Carson Tava and yeah. just bringing it to the screen. Like what is going through your mind? Cause I feel like I would black out. Like I would just yeah. not remember anything. <laughs> it's serious, serious next level shit. 
Yeah. <laughs> You're there. Yep. And then you see, you know, I, I went in and uh, I get picked up from the airport, basically, and they, they whisk me over to the studios. And I'm in the wardrobe department, and it's all so surreal. A Canadian in L.A. Uh, <laughs> and I'm in there, and I'm, I'm looking around the wardrobe department, and they've got stuff all on the shelves. And I'm looking at items, and I'm recognizing costume bits, going, ooh, okay, that's from Rogue One. Oh, that's from Solo. That's And all these different, like, what are, what are all these, you know, and I'm trying to, you know, put together, why do they have all these things? And it was, it was very funny, too, because there, there were a couple of elements of uh, the Mud Trooper uh, costume from Solo, which if you've watched the last episode, you see because of the, 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 you don't, like the, the armor that they, they steal and wear. Yes. Yeah. The, the mishmash of the, the tank piece, from yeah. Rogue One, but it's the Mud Trooper armor. And I'm actually, mm-hmm. I've actually got a Mud Trooper build. Um, and so I say, I'm looking at it going, I know what that is. It's like, oh, so that's how <laughs> the hoses. I'm looking at this. And then they whisk me into the room and then you see my name is written. On, on a whiteboard with my character name underneath it. And he didn't, like, he, they didn't have the full name yet. And everything's under code names. And my code name was Foodie Pilot. I had no idea what that <laughs> meant. Foodie Pilot. Oh, okay. Um, and then they bring it out and they, they had tailor made a flight suit for me. It wasn't like an off the rack sort of, oh, we're going to go to this one company that sources flight suits. They got my measurements and they tailor made. Wow. For me, I was like, oh my God, this is, oh, and it was beautiful. And it was just like, you know, they said, I'm sorry, it's, it's still a little bit damp because we, we just finished washing it again to wear it down a bit, break it down a little bit, but it's, it should be fun. I'm like, yeah, pfft, I don't care. It could be on fire. <laughs> I'll put it on. Uh, and so I'm in there and I can't believe it. And it's lovely because at least two, um, two trained professionals and they're dressing me, which is awesome. And um, the, uh, you see all the elements because they're using stuff from all the different movies, right? So from Rogue One, they're, they're sourcing a lot of the parts. And it makes sense from a financial point of view to, to have that if it's around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're fitting me with it. And they're kind of struggling a little bit. And I'm kind of going, hmm, okay, uh, this is because I've, I've got the costume at home. And I, I'm like, okay. And they're, they're looking at this book. And the book is called The Costumes of Star Wars. And I'm like, oh, I know that book. I have that book. <laughs> And it, they're going off of a reference of a, an, uh, of a X-Wing pilot's costume. And it's on a, a maquette, on, on a, like a form. It's, mm-hmm. you know, no face or whatever. And it's, I hate that picture. And I think a lot of cosplayers really don't like that picture because it's not meant for true references, right? It's not meant for this is how it sits. It literally was. I think, yeah, it's not okay. on a person. Yeah, yeah the, the publicity department just sort of threw it on there saying, yeah, close enough. They took a picture and said, there's an X-Wing pilot. And it's the actual costume, but it's not sort of done up correctly. And so the wardrobe people, they're, they're, they're sort of trying to emulate what they see in the picture. And they're having a really hard time. And it's like, excuse me, uh, I, I don't think you're doing that part right. And he said, no, no, it's, it's like this in the picture. I said, and I explained to them why the picture is much hated by the cosplay community. And like, oh, really? And said, yeah, if you don't mind, I've actually built this costume. <laughs> I have oh my God. <laughs> meticulously sourced photo, reference photos on my phone. And so if you want to use these pictures, they're probably more helpful than the one picture you have there. And they're like, yeah, great. And they look at it and there's an ejection harness, which they were having a lot of trouble with. They say, okay, well, this is how mine was built. And I'm sort of talking them through it and like, oh, okay, great. And they're pinning it and they're fitting it. And I said, okay, it's attached this way to the front of my, uh, front of my vest. And on the back, it's attached over there, this way. And there's a buckle here. And they're going, hey, this is great. This is really great. 
Uh, and then with the leg flares, like it, it's, it keeps drooping down. I said, well, there's this trick that the cosplayers use where they take the clip from a tape measure, one of those things, they'll, they'll unscrew that and they'll have put two of them onto the, onto the uh, leg flare uh, to the belt. And then that tucks, that clips onto the boot and it keeps it from falling. They're like, okay, that's great. And so they're incorporating all these things that I had learned from other cosplayers online. And so oh this, my God. I love that so <laughs> much. Standing on the shoulders of giant, of, of people, of the pathfinders. Oh my gosh. Yes. I love um, that. I mean, that's, great. yeah, that's yeah. a cosplayer's dream right there. I mean, you're, you're getting to add yeah. your input in. That's like yeah. incredible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, speaking to when you said you, you're going to black out, um, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I, I was just over the moon cause I, I still, I couldn't believe it cause I did feel like Cinderella getting ready for the ball. And then they said, okay, well, we need to take a, a reference photo of you with a helmet on, but we don't have your helmet because it's being repainted. So they pull out this, this Tupperware container and they open it up and there's, there's a Star Wars, there's a, a, a helmet in there. And I see the design and it's, it's big Stark Lighters helmet. Like I'm looking at it, it's got the, the black wow. on it. You know, <laughs> is that, that's not the actual, they, they, that's not big, that's not the actual helmet from star wars and they're like, like, no, like, it is. And say, yeah is that how do you know how did that's you know like, oh my god i know i'm a nerd that's how i knew so <laughs> they said put it on and i said put it on he said yeah put it on and I'm, I'm looking at it and it's got you know the the actor's name in it garrick uh i think it's garrick hagon and i'm like i'm i'm shaking and i put it on and i start to cry because I'm wearing this thing that when I was five years old, I saw on the screen with my dad. It's one of my first memories. I'm, I'm getting fitted to be in a Star Wars television show, wearing a piece of my history sort of on my head. And it was just too much, you know, and it were tears of joy. Um, and I just, when you get a chance to sort of live your dream, you, you never want to wake up. You just want to stay yeah. in that moment and just sort of oh, yeah. as much as you can. Uh, and at that moment, I just felt so humbled and so happy and thankful that I was having, I had this opportunity. Because um, when I got off the plane, I had no idea any of that was going to be happening, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, Not yeah, your I, typical day by any means. No. <laughs> and, you know, and I wasn't even supposed to be shooting until uh, the next couple of days, right? Um, and I get a call, like they said, okay, well, once you're done, um, JF wants to see you, so we're going to bring you to set. I'm like, who, who, who's JF? John Favreau. It's like, oh, you're kidding, right? So they drive me to set. And he's smart because he gave me a guided tour of Navarro, all the sets in Navarro and the cantina and everything. And he said, I wanted to do this for you so you're not totally overwhelmed your first day of shooting. That's awesome. Like, that's so smart and so kind and so generous. And wow. he took time out of his day to like, why? And, but he, it was kind of like, you know, you're showing off your new house or your new car. It's like, Hey, what do you think of this? Right. And just like, he, I think he really enjoyed seeing my reaction oh, to I bet, yeah. even more. And that's, you know, that, that's so, uh, ah, just such a wonderful, wonderful experience. Incredible. Wow. Oh man. Speaking of being an X-Wing pilot, um, what was it like working inside of the volume, you know, being an X-Wing pilot and all of that? Yeah, that was, I mean, that's, I, that's the next level shit because, you know, <laughs> I, I'm in, they strap me in and it's, it's the cockpit that they used from Rogue One. Um, 
And so wow. it's detailed. It's got the lights and practical buttons that you can click in and out, and you got to climb up a ladder to climb into it. And the canopy opens and closes, and they've got an R2 unit back there that they've put in with the heads revolving and stuff. And so just that alone, you're there, and you're like, holy shit, I'm in an X-Wing. And I've got the, the, the flight stick in front of me, and I immediately start pretending, okay, well, this would be the targeting computer. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and so I'm just sort of mapping all this stuff out in my mind. And then at the genius bar, or the brain bar is what they call it, yeah. they, project, they start the projection up. And to my right, there's the Razor Crest, a digital image of the Razor Crest. Just oh. sort of going there. And then across from that is another X-Wing. And I'm looking around going, I'm in space. I'm in space. But then they start moving the star field back and forth like this. And it feels like I'm, I'm rocking back and forth. And I immediately grab onto the sides of the, of the cockpit. And I'm not moving. <laughs> I'm not moving. But wow. every sense in my body is saying, you're being thrown violently left and right. And Peyton Reed, who's directing, he says, yeah, 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 it gets a little disconcerting. Just if you get too freaked out, just stare at the center of your console. Like, don't look at the stars, just stare at one point. But it, that's how realistic it is. And so you're, you're there, you feel like you're actually in an X-Wing, the environment is real. And then we shoot the sequence where I'm, we're chasing Mando in the atmosphere. And that was better than any roller coaster ride I've ever been on. Uh, <laughs> You know, they, they kind of had a, uh, the poor person's version of it at Epcot, you know, with the old Star Wars rides where they project the image and the thing moves up and down. And it's all very like, oh, it's, it's thrilling. But this, because it's a high def image. Yeah. Fully immersive. Um, that was some of the easiest acting I ever had to do was pretending that I was chasing the Razor Crest. And that all these G-forces were sort of pulling on me and, and, and throwing me in certain directions. I know there were initial dampeners and this and that, but they wanted us to play the actual Gs. And none of that footage got used, unfortunately, but it was a, so much fun to shoot. Uh, oh, that's so cool. Oh. Yeah, that's incredible. And, I mean, you know, working on the set and, and you're bringing Carson Tava to the screen. And I want to talk about the, the character himself for, for a second here. And a line that me and, me and Tori love is, you know, these are trying times. It's been the motto for ever since you said it. I'm like, that's the motto for the year. I'm going to just keep saying it to myself. <laughs> like, it's such a good line. Wow. But how, how, would you, uh, how would you characterize Carson? Because he really seems like this guy who definitely will play by the rules, but also isn't afraid to act independently and sort of make choices on his own and let Din Djarin go, you know, even though he's yeah. done some bad stuff. He's also done some good stuff. So there's a little yeah, bit yeah. of a gray area there, you know? That's what I love about him because there are no absolutes and he is a grizzled veteran. Uh, he served during Alderaan. He saw yeah. the worst of the worst and he, I mean, he survived. He survived all these different battles, whether he was part of them or not. He was part of the rebellion during all these massive battles. And, you know, he, he's in the outer rim now and that's rough territory. So he's kind of like, <laughs> like one of the old, the old marshals of old, you know, like um, the U.S. marshals. They, they had a lot of ground to cover in the Wild West and uh, they had very limited resources. And you knew if one of them showed up, you were in trouble. Um, and so that's him. He, is, he knows enough that uh, he, can't, he can't survive, and the New Republic can't survive out there by, by following the strict letter of the law. It's impossible. And so he knows, because of his experience, to pick his battles. And there are certain battles that have to be fought and other things where you can let slide. And he's got the capabilities 
to sort of see, to read the subtext, to see where, where things are going in the read the situation and know that, um, you know, what Dean Jaren did, although technically the letter of the law, um, he violated it, but his actions proved otherwise. And so he's going to, you know, he's going to pick his battles and he knows there are bigger fish to fry too. Like he, he suspects quite a bit that something is going on in the outer mm -hmm. ring and mm -hmm. smart enough to know that they can't, they can't stop it without local support. Um, yeah. That's the genius of the writing too. Um, it's, it's just, it's there. It's so layered and so rich and it's uh, for an actor. It's, it's great material to work with. Mm -hmm. um, and it's got a great sort of gravitas to it. And it's, 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 it's really cool because he sees it and I'm sure he's, he's reporting back saying, Hey, look, something's not right out here, but there's either nobody believes him or there's so limited resources that without con you know, concrete evidence, they can't do anything about it. And so he's doing his best with what he has to try to get local support. He's like that, the beat cop that goes around and makes friends with all the neighborhood uh, businesses. Right. Because, and, and even the gangs, because if he gets to know them and they know him, they respect each other mm -hmm. a little bit easier to patrol the area and, and try to keep the peace. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, Star Wars is at its at best when it presents uh, those sort of morally gray, uh, non-absolute characters. And I think that's uh, when you really get to get inside their mind and see it's not always one way or the other. I think that that is why I'm drawn to Carson and just the fact that they could have taken Din in, but they didn't. And I think that's a pretty powerful message to send uh, in terms of how, how the galaxy's working and how these are really tough times. In a post-Empire world, you think things are good and bright and shiny, but really it's yeah. not always what it appears to be, you know? Yeah, and ironically, stuff on Navarro was like, it almost kind of got worse when the Empire left, right? Because then all of a sudden it became very lawless. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that's one of the things that I, I love. They, they, they sort of touch on that a little bit. Uh, is the fact that the Empire, uh, as evil as it was, they, they did do sort of keep, keep things calm for a bit. And in that vacuum, you know, power reports the vacuum. So you have all these raiders and these, these other uh, mm -hmm. forces stepping in to try to exploit that. Um, and it's great because the last episode, episode seven, they're talking about in The Believer, they're talking about how the rebellion and the Empire to the people whose planet they're occupying, you know, they're, they're kind of the same. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it's it's really great. I I love the deeper sort of uh, ramifications of what galactic co a conflict really really means, especially the bystanders. And I love that they're going a little bit deeper uh, with some of the themes here. Yeah, and and just speaking of uh, of complex characters, I want to talk to before we get into our our last bit of the of the interview here. In terms of uh, representation, I know that's something also very important to you as well. And I was watching your uh, acceptance speech at the 2018 Canadian uh, Screen Awards, uh, which, you know, you you won Best Lead Actor for second year in a row for Kim's Convenience, which I just started watching. Oh, Absolutely hilarious. Like, I'm I'm totally bought in. <laughs> I got work off this week, so I'm, I'm binging all, all four seasons. I, I really thought your, your speech was uh, was really quite beautiful. And what you said was... Uh, representation matters when communities and people see themselves reflected on the screens. It is an inspiring and very powerful moment because it means they've been moved from the margins into the forefront. And you talk about how it's about giving voice to those who don't have one and giving hope and how that voice can lead to people listening and to, for people to change. And in Star Wars in particular, I think in the last several years under Disney, there's definitely been the introduction of, of more Asian characters, especially. You have Rose. 
you have uh you have Bodie Rook, you have uh Baze Malbus, Donnie Yen's character, Chirrut. Uh and now now you have Carson Tava. What does it mean for you to be not only in Star Wars, but also to be representing in Star Wars to now maybe where uh you as a kid were watching the original trilogy and now there is a kid out there watching Carson Tava thinking, I am in this universe too. And like my voice matters and like giving them that confidence. Like what does that feel like to kind of carry that sort of carry that sort of knowledge that like, you know, you're you're not only in Star Wars, but you're representing as well. Yeah, I, I, that's that's a bonus. Um, you know, that that all that stuff is gravy on the side because, you know, personal dreams coming true and whatnot. It is a responsibility that I, I, I take quite seriously in terms of that, because I've been fortunate enough to be put in a situation with not only with the Mandalorian, but Kim's convenience to to sort of project that idea that. Um, representation does matter for for asian families for immigrant families to see other faces maybe in their their community sort of represented um and, and show that you can be successful in this industry it's it's not all one homogeneous color um i'm sure when i was growing up if i had seen more successful asian actors on the screen um my parents wouldn't have given me such a hard time for for trying to get into this field as well um I'm, I'm sure I would have, I like right from the get go, would have thought, oh, this is something that I can do, I want to do um, a, a little bit earlier on. I think I would have found that a little bit earlier. Um, but at the same time, it is what, are, what a time we do live in where we are trying to be inclusive. And it doesn't mean being inclusive doesn't mean shutting other, other people out, it means just opening it up. And being diverse also speaks to the types of stories that we tell and the fact that diverse storytelling is is makes us all stronger because we hear new stories we hear new voices we see things from a different perspective it makes it that much more rich instead of watching the same thing played over and over and over again and become derivative of itself which is you know the, the road to like sort of stale tired storytelling you can only mm -hmm. tell the same story so many times before mm -hmm. you kind of go, yeah okay we've been here what, what's next um and to be an inspiration for the next generation of artists, like, what an honor. Like, that's an honor. That's something I take um, that is so humbling at the same time, too. And I take quite seriously because I never had that. And for somebody to have that can mean the world. It can mean a difference. Um, and uh, I, I'm still sort of shocked that in my lifetime, that I've sort of become the, the, that sort of example to immigrant families, you know, and, and to little kids and to other, you know, people looking going, wow, I just, there's, there's Asians in, in Star Wars. There's a guy and he didn't die. And mm -hmm. he's not a caricature and he's not like, he's actually kind of cool and he's got some authority to him. Um, I, I think that's great because it, again, it, it just, it becomes more normal. And when you see more of it, it becomes normal. It's not such an oddity anymore. And really, in a galaxy far, far away, we shouldn't be surprised by, by uh, a wide diversity of, of types. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, not at all, yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, right? And so you kind of go, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so it's a win-win. Being in the Star Wars universe and as well, sort of hand-in-hand -hand going and being that, that sort of idea that representation makes a big difference. I know it made a huge difference in my life. Um, because you are inspired when you see yourself reflected on those screens and, and it is, yeah, it's empowering. It's empowering and it's exciting. Yeah. 
no, it's it's amazing, and we really, you know, we really appreciate the work that you've brought to uh, to the Mandalorian, and you know, uh, I think a lot of fans have really, uh, really taken up with it and uh, hold it close to them, and that I think that's that's the awesome thing, like you said, community connecting, and that's that's ultimately what this is all about, what all this storytelling is about. Absolutely. So we're gonna transition into more of like a rapid fire question <laughs> section here, um, but also um, this is kind of more of a statement i guess <laughs> so we've heard about the announcement at this point now of the rangers of the new republic being a thing we just want to say that we really hope that you're involved in the show i know i don't know if you know you probably can't say anything but we're going to be campaigning for you because we would love nothing more than to see that so me too thank you so much <laughs> put that out there <laughs> as soon as they announced it i was like please <laughs> yeah my first thought was paul get him in there Gotta do it. <laughs> thank you so uh, you know i love that and like my social media exploded when, when oh i'm sure <laughs> it's like yeah i mean even if i could even if i could tell you i couldn't sort of sort of thing well, exactly correct. yeah yeah um yeah fingers crossed i mean that's that's something that is just like talk about your cup overflowing right like mm-hmm. if that were to happen i would I wouldn't say no, first of, of course. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and, and that's that's been, and that's the other thing that really blows me away that there's such goodwill out there for me. Um, it, it's it's moving. It's very very moving, and I appreciate it. And so for for all of you guys who are out there, um, all you people out there who who are campaigning and, and think I'd be great for, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so so much. Because you've made this this Star Wars geeks dreams come true, and you've made my heart swell like a million times its size. So, amazing. So, our next question is: What is your favorite Star Wars film? Uh, Empire Strikes Back. Good one. Yeah. Great, great year for it. Fortieth anniversary. It's there been a lot, been a lot of the good stuff coming out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think you might have said, but maybe I don't know. You said. You really like Han Solo. I don't know. Is that your favorite Star Wars character, or do you have a different favorite? He, I think he is. My, you know, Han is just because he was such a rascal too, right? He's like, great. He's the best. Star, <laughs> yeah, and it was just that that false sense of bravado where he thought he had it all under control and he kind of didn't, but he kept it together and the, the posturing. I loved it. Um, yeah, and I think that's why he was he was kind of my favorite because he was kind of cool but kind of like goofy at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, of course, he got to kiss Princess Leia. So it, it was one of those things growing up. It's like, oh, because I think I had a crush on Leia as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. So it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, Han, just super cool. And, you know, his best friend's a Wookiee. And he got to yeah. fly the Millennium Falcon. Come so, on. Yeah. You can't get a better deal than that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you have a favorite episode of The Mandalorian? We're approaching chap- chapter 16. There's so much to choose from. I know you're yeah. familiar. Your friend Deborah Chow has directed a couple of just bombshell Some episodes. Oh, yeah, no, so, uh, she, yeah. <laughs> it's like picking your kids, right? Like, which one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love them all. Some more than others, but no, I love them all. Uh, wow, that's a really, really tough question. It could be one of your favorites, too. I know my, my top three to four changes like all the time. Yeah, so maybe one, one that so. really just stands like, out to you. You know what? The, the one. I mean, just because it was just so fresh in my head and because there was so much Stormtrooper porn in it, uh, just that last episode, uh, The Believer, just because uh, Bill Burr, my God, he, that scene where he's sitting at that table. Yeah. And oh, about yeah. oh, my table, gosh. Oh. And you see, he's about to lose it. And you know, we all know, it's that moment where he's just there and then, and you're just like, well, and he shoots him. And then they look at each other and that poor Stormtrooper 
He was just, <laughs> just trying to grab his lunch. <laughs> he just wanted a sand. He just wanted to eat his ham sandwich. Yeah, I, I just wanted my lunch, and then and it just sort of explodes. I love the 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 way they dealt with the different themes, um, in that episode in terms of belief systems as well, like how oh, yeah. how you are, you know, how how far you're willing to go until you get there, and yes. how much further need to go if you you have to right and i thought incredible growth in terms of men uh you know dean jaren's character uh bill burr as well uh and, and cara dune like her you you can see that because you know she hates imperials as much as 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 uh dean jaren hated droids but you can see that she's starting to see that it's not quite as black and white as she used to think so, so there's an incredible amount of growth there um so that that's one that stands out, but that was probably because I'm still watching it again and again and again. Uh, yeah, I love Tony's yeah. <laughs> episode with uh, Ahsoka Tano in it. Um, right from the get go, when when those lightsabers like sparked up, I lost my mind. It was just like, <laughs> ah, there she is. So cool seeing him live action. There, yeah, <laughs> yes, and it was just like there were so many holy shit moments in the first five minutes alone in that episode. Um, it was great. I love Taika Waititi's um, the episode eight. Um, oh, very good. In terms of just his bringing his his style into it, uh, irreverence, um, but still fitting well within that universe. It didn't seem like totally out of place. Like the, no, the, yeah. the conversation between the two scout troopers, I thought was so just funny. Like, and that's I, I love seeing that because it's it's just on the outside look. It's like, kind of like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, right? Like they're all that world. And, you know, after every exit, there's another entrance somewhere. And they're kind of there. Um, and in, to just to see that level of, of just mundaneness of, like, two troopers who are just like, I don't know what we're doing. Like, Moff Gideon, yeah. he just killed another guy. It's like, are you? And they're arguing amongst each other. It's like, kind of like, yeah, the rank and file, um, you know. Uh, and then, of course, I, I got I to gotta put, put one in for, for um, Carl Weathers' episode that he directed to Siege, you know. Incredible uh, one. Yeah, just tons. Again, it moved the, the action along. He, the man is an icon. He's a fantastic actor. Right. It's yeah. such an honor to be directed by him as well. And we talk about so many moments of shitting my pants because uh, those are the those are the those are hard scenes. I had a scene that scene with with uh, Gina Carano at the end was just so. If you get the tone wrong, it it comes across as really ham fisted, right? And so it was that was tough. Yeah. And just that was my first day of shooting was that scene. And I was just like, I didn't want to screw it up. And Carl Weathers is directing it. John Favreau's over there. I'm acting across from Gina Carano and everybody on the crew is like, who the hell's this guy? Um, you know, you just, you don't want to mess that up. So big props to that, you know, that entire team. Um, but I did, I was, I did quite like that episode as well. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. I think one of the best parts of the show has been seeing, uh, so many different directors with, like you were saying, like Taika Waititi has his own style. You know, everyone kind of has their own style and it still fits in. It's so interesting to see these like diverse viewpoints. <sighs> Love it. Um, so what is your favorite cosplay that you have? Uh, oh my God. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's like having oh. you pick your children again, probably. Uh, <laughs> what's your first favorite child? Now what's your second favorite child? <laughs> yeah, what's your favorite child? I have, you know what? Um, Oh boy. Oh boy. The most comfortable one I have to say is the Ghostbusters cosplay, especially without the proton pack. Okay. Fair. Just mm -hmm. because it's, it's a jumpsuit and it's just like, I can move in it. The most uncomfortable cosplay I have is my stormtrooper, the TK unit. It's, 
you're there and I, I, I don't know if you guys ever heard it. It's called armor pinch. It's when you're wearing the stormtrooper armor and you're walking around and like two edges of it just sort of grab a little piece of skin. You're very, yeah, that's an armor. Um, the reactions are cool, but it's, it's like it's hot and it's really uncomfortable to move in. Uh, kudos to all the stunt guy, uh, stunt performers who have to like get thrown, have to run and kneel and fall down in that stuff because it's, it's not meant to do that stuff. Like the, 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 the costume is not meant to do that. Um, my other favorite one is uh, the one that almost killed me just this past Halloween was I did a scout trooper from Mando all dirty up. Um, Ooh, nice. It's, it's a nice mix, blend of the two. You've got armor on and a really cool helmet, but you can sit down. Yeah, mm-hmm. with the pants, oh, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Got that. Um, and the mud trooper. Uh, the, the muddy that I have is actually, it's the coolest, in my opinion, it's kind of the coolest looking one because you've got the really neat helmet and uh, the armor yeah. just seems a little bit, a lot more plausible. Like you look at it and go, that's kind of practical because it's got this World War One type of yes, vibe. Yes, right? yeah. yeah. I love the chest plate. It's very cool. Yeah. I mean, it's completely useless because I think one blaster bolt and you're done. Yeah. But <laughs> it's really cool. Looking. And of course, the X-Wing, uh, my, my X-Wing pilot, nice and orange. Yeah, yeah. you have to throw that out there. <laughs> One of our patrons actually had a question. Her name is Jessica, and she wanted to know, what is your favorite ship in the galaxy? You know what? I've always been drawn, for whatever reason, to Star Destroyers. Just mm-hmm. the iconic shape of, of one of those. Great. Yeah, I mean, it just like in terms of a capital ship, you look at it and you go, wow, that's pretty badass. And it's got, you know, the hangar bay underneath and the two shield generators on top. That's just, for me, an iconic sort of capital ship. Uh, when when you see them, and because when you see one jump out of light space, uh, light speed, and just sort of land, uh, that was a fantastic moment in Rogue One when you see oh <laughs> see them just sort of right there, and then it, it's you look at the heartbreaking, yeah. <laughs> so that that for me is always, I mean, uh, other runner, honorable mentions, obviously Millennium Falcon, uh, fastest hunk of junk in galaxy, uh, Razor Crest, God rest his soul. Oh, uh, God yeah. <laughs> the enterprise i'd have to say you know uss enterprise the original series constitution class uh was just for me iconic uh and a shout out as well to the um the eagle transport landers from space 1999 which still i i mean i, I love that design because it looks futuristic but so practical at the same time yeah amazing uh and then last question what does star wars mean to you it's a big question, actually. <laughs> it's been such a part of my life. Star Wars is like home for me. Like that's that's the one word that I keep that keeps coming to mind. It's home. It's comforting. Uh, it's got. It's you know it, at different phases of my life, it's meant different things. Um, it's 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 traveled with me from place to place, but I've always sort of had it with me. Um, it. It has many rooms. Uh, some rooms I've yet to discover. Other rooms I'm very, very comfortable being in and sharing. Um, yeah, and it, it is a place where, where I feel the safest and most excited and have had some of my best memories. That's a beautiful analogy. Oh. Here's to opening uh, many more doors in that house, hopefully. And hopefully one of those doors is named <laughs> Rangers of the New Republic. Rangers. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> got a nice label we're on gonna it get, we're gonna find that key for you <laughs> absolutely thank you so much 
Paul, thank you so much, especially just for it's coming awesome. on oh the gosh. podcast. What a what a pleasure to have you. And I think your Star Wars story is just one of passion and geekdom. And it's just uh, it's all of us living, like you said, vicariously through you in this universe. And it's it's just fantastic. So my last final question for you is where can people find you online? Where we should where should we be following you? And also, yeah. what do you have coming up that you would like us to to know about? Um, uh, I you can find me online. Uh, I've got uh, a YouTube channel actually called Bitter Asian Dude Inc. Uh, it's on it's on YouTube. Uh, I do a lot of uh, unboxings. Uh, I've got uh, it, it started during the pandemic. At the beginning, um, I was at home and I was kind of bored. My 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 youngest said, "Hey, Dad, why don't you do an unboxing video because you have all this stuff, and it just sits in boxes." And I thought, you know. I've seen, I've seen unboxing videos from you. So I'll give it a try. And I actually kind of liked it a lot and I sucked at the beginning, but it's slowly getting better, which is great. So it's a, it's a steep learning curve. So bitter Asian dude, Inc on YouTube. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at bitter Asian dude. Um, uh, Instagram. My handle is actually angry up on Instagram. Um, and so if you want to see any of my cosplay stuff, just scroll through my feed. And you'll see I've got all my, my Star Wars cosplay and my Ghostbusters stuff on there, too. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, on Facebook, at Paul Sun Hyung Lee. I've got a fan page, so you can reach me there, too. Fantastic. Oh, and my, I have my own website, bitterasiandude.com. It's all Bitter Asian Dude. Uh, <laughs> iteration of it. You'll just Google it. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, Paul, thank you once again. And last thing we'll tell you is may the force be with you. And also with you. I forego the bounties on these three criminals. And you two help me fuse my hole so I can get off this frozen rock. What say you fix that transponder and we don't vaporize that antique the next time we patrol the rim? Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to our interview with Paul Sun Hyung Lee. So happy to have him on the show and, and learn more about his Star Wars story. As for Tori and I, you can find Tori at The Mandatorian on Twitter. And you can also check out her shop at Creature Cartel. As for me, I'm at Brad Whipple. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Make sure you're subscribed so you get all of our newest episodes and you leave a five-star rating and review to help others find the podcast and join the discussion. If you want to support the show, you can do so at our Patreon at patreon.com slash friends of the force. Thank you to our current patrons who make the show possible. Anna, Cheryl, Christina, Deborah, Donnie, Elegy, Jessica, Levi, Marie Claire, Marvin, Neil, Rachel, Sarah, and T. That is all for this episode of Clan of Two. Next time, we will be recapping and discussing the season two finale of The Mandalorian. And until then, everybody, this is the way. 